0: We're almost there. Words that any child in a long trip yearns to hear from mom and dad. We're almost there. Words that might be a source of encouragement to employees in an organization that at this time of year is maybe working towards some ambitious goal that they would like to bring to completion and, and the boss sends out the, the office-wide email saying, we're almost there. Words that encourage or uplift any, any team that just won an important game and, and the coach says we're almost there, gives them hope that they're going to reach their championship aspirations. We're almost there. Words that, in a sense, James also captured, though a little bit different nuance. Rather than we're almost there, James tells us this morning he's almost here, the Lord is near, And with that comes a sense of urgency and imminency and excitement that says you've been waiting and you've been waiting and you've been waiting, but, but soon enough the wait will be over. The waiting will be a thing of the past and the Lord will be here. He is near. But you guys are a pretty sharp group and you've probably figured something out by now. The words from James, those were written a long time ago. Two thousand years ago is when James said, "The Lord is, is near. He's almost here." And in light of that, it kind of takes away a, a little bit of the imminency. The longer we, we wait, the less urgent it really seems, doesn't it? It takes a little bit of wind. Out of the sails when we realize how much time has passed. Now, it would have been one thing for the the people who, who first heard and read these words of James. Why? Because they were not too far removed from God making good on His first promise that God's people throughout Old Testament history were waiting for to be delivered. And God had finally delivered, and Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed, the chosen one, had come that first time into Bethlehem. So for James to write, the Lord is near, well, they, they had something to, to hang their hat on. They had just witnessed that. The Lord kept that promise, but, but for you and me, for every century that passes and still Jesus has not returned, well, we start to, to wonder, and gradually, sometimes subtly, but that urgency morphs into complacency. And we see that complacency, we see it in, in the church. Do you still find yourself wondering where they are? Where are those, those people who used to, to come here, maybe, maybe years ago before COVID, are they still even members of the congregation? Do they attend here? Did they move away somewhere? Do they, do they watch online? Where are they? Have they just become indifferent or complacent in their relationship with Jesus and their church? But, but the thing about complacency is it cuts both ways, doesn't it? Because we can be just as guilty of that complacency if we have done nothing to, to reach out to them to check on them, to wonder where they are, how they are, what's going on in their lives, why we haven't seen them, how we can encourage them. We talk about how how this is one of the most neglected or underutilized books, but maybe a close second is the church directory. When we fail to open it up and look up a number and call or text or email that very person that we are wondering about. And so we too are complacent And our efforts at at reaching out to those who are missing. And it's not just that area. Complacency can impact or infect other areas of our lives as well. Our, Our service, our offerings, our Christian living in general. So that when that urgency morphs into complacency, so often it will leave the fruits of faith soft and mushy. Love Joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Increasingly, those fruits of the Spirit are, are rarely seen, almost as if we need to file a missing persons report, wondering where are they in our complacent lives. So what are we to do? How do we recapture that sense of urgency and replace that complacency with it? How do we look forward once again to to Jesus' promise, to his his return? Well, if you heard James, he mentioned it once or twice, actually four times. He said to be patient. Easier said than done. And so he gave us a, a few pointers for patience this morning as you heard them. James encourages us while we're eagerly waiting, patiently waiting, to stand firm, to stop grumbling, and to persevere. On what are you standing firm? Be careful how you answer that. Because if you say Jesus, then your life should show Jesus. In other words, it's not enough simply to know that the answer to that question on what am I standing firm while I wait for Jesus should be Jesus and his word and his promises. It's one thing to know that, but to know that is not necessarily the same as the reality of that in my life. And the reason we're able to fool ourselves in this area is because we are really experts at convincing ourselves of who we are and what interests us. Think about that. The, the way that you explain yourself or, or describe yourself to somebody else, you might tell yourself over and over and over, I'm this type of person, or I love doing this, or I really enjoy that. And, and you can tell it to yourself so many times that you believe it, but if somebody on the outside, somebody casually observing your life, were to assess and see if that matches up, they'd say that, that you're off your rocker. That's not who you are at all. But we tell ourselves that. We tell others that. Oh, I, I absolutely love blank. And then out of the very next breath, we go on to explain, but unfortunately I'm too busy to ever blank. Newsflash. If you're too busy for that thing that you claim to love, you don't really love that thing as much as you think you do. And if you claim that this is who you are and nothing in your life matches that, then that's not who you are. Time to start being real with yourself. And we go out and we buy and we purchase things that support this hobby or this interest because those are the things that we love. And then we wonder why those things never get used except to move those items from one place where they're in the way to another place where they're in the way all the while fooling ourselves that this is who we really are. And so when there's, there's discord between parents and children or husband and wife that we like to label as nagging, it's not really nagging. That's called conviction, because when they remind us of that thing that we claim to be or like, but nothing in our life reflects that, then that's not who we actually are. So be careful how you answer That question on what are you standing firm? Because if it's Jesus, then your life will show that it's Jesus and not just be vain, empty words. And it's okay for you at this point to, in fact, I would encourage you to do an assessment to say, if you are standing firmly on Jesus and his word and his promises, then look and assess what in your day-to-day life actually would validate that truth. And if you don't see as much as you thought or would like to, that's okay. You've got time to change, but don't wait. And if that's the only thing that you get from, from your time in, in worship this morning, you will be richly blessed if you reevaluate how your life is actually a reflection of standing firmly on God's promises. That's not the only encouragement that James gives us as we are waiting patiently. Stand firm, yes, but he also says don't, don't grumble against one another. Uh-oh. We're kind of really good at that, aren't we? Some of us better than others, to your credit. In fact, some of you this morning already are on the second column of your grumble list. You realize that? From the moment you got up this morning and you hit the alarm to snooze, oh, it's too early, oh, it's cold out, it's supposed to rain, I don't have anything to wear, there's nothing to eat, and then you get to church and somebody's in your seat, and you don't like that hymn, and the list goes on and on. We're experts at this. We don't have any problem whatsoever at finding things to grumble about. And, and here's the thing, that, that if that's our, our default, if we're so good at just grumbling just by default, then it's not a big step for, as James warns us, against to grumble against others. Because it may very well be that my spouse didn't pick up this, that my child neglected to do this, or somebody so-and-so at church didn't do that the right way. Those could all have merit, But grumbling against them has nothing to do with those issues and everything to do with how I view them. You realize that about about grumbling? It has less to do with the issue and much more to do with how you view it. You can either view it through a lens of gratitude or grumbling. And how you choose to view it is going to determine how you interact with the individual that it affects now. And so, as much as it's our defaults, that's one of the ways that, that James encourages us to wait patiently, to, to be done with the grumbling, replace the grumbling with gratitude. Let that th- be a thing of the past and, and avoid so much division, not just in the church, but in, in all of our, our relationships. And then the, the third and, and final that James points out in his points for uh, patience as we're waiting patiently is to, to persevere. Another one that really is not our calling card as a society, especially a society that increasingly prefers to play the victim. When something bad happens in this life, what is our initial reaction? Outrage. I cannot believe this thing happened. I cannot believe this thing happened to me. I cannot believe that somebody else let this thing happen. How could they? And when we play the victim mentality, our only approach to any sort of adversity or difficulty or hardship in our lives is to turn around and put the bullseye in somebody else and try to figure what can we do as soon as possible to remove this adversity or hardship from my life because I don't want to deal with it and I'm not equipped to deal with it. So that is our solution rather than saying, how do I bear up under this? How do I deal with this? How do I process this? How can I actually grow through this. That's not natural for us to do. And it certainly isn't an easy thing for us to do. But if we can't do that in the little things, then how do we expect to do it in the really big things in life? And some of you, quite frankly, are going through seasons that require perseverance right now. So are you going to to fight through it or just give up? When the real hard work of forgiveness is required, are you going to forgive or remain bitter? Are you going to grow through it or or go as you run away from it? Are you going to trust when you are tested or just give in? James encourages you, dear friends, persevere through it as you wait patiently for the Messiah to return. And he even gives us examples to offer us encouragement as we persevere through it. He says, look at the prophets in the Old Testament. Now there's a job description. How about that? God coming to you and saying, hey, the job description is I want you to go to my people who have been rebellious and stubborn and wayward, and I want you to call them to repentance. And by the way, they're probably going to hate you for it, going to throw you in prison and or kill you. And what did they do? His prophets persevered. Read through the Old Testament. So many of the books of the Old Testament are named after the very prophets that persevered in the face of adversity. And then James points out Job, another example. Job who had everything and then nothing. And then was surrounded by worthless advice from miserable friends and and a wife who, who weren't any help to him at all. And yet Job did not turn his back on God, but persevered. That's the encouragement that James gives to you and me, to persevere, to be done with grumbling, to stand firm. How do we do it? Well, look at how James wrapped up this section. The very, very last verse, he reminds you and me. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That is worth waiting for. But the news gets better, brothers and sisters in Christ. You don't have to wait for compassion and mercy. And you know why. Because God already ushered those in the first time the Messiah came into this world. The very first time that God gave his Son into this world, that was exactly what he came to do, to bring compassion and mercy. And I love the way that, that Paul reminds us of that in the opening verse of Second Corinthians. Verse 3, he says, listen to the, the designation he gives to the Lord. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. How appropriate during this time of year, as we begin to prepare celebrating the son once again, the reminder that the father of that son, that son is compassion, the father of compassion. You could almost take take the Christ and say he is compassion personified. That's the best gift that you're going to receive this Christmas. You've already gotten it. It's not wrapped in in bows and and wrapping paper. It was wrapped in swaddling clothes and and placed in a manger in Bethlehem for you. Compassion personified. What greater gift can any of us receive than the compassion of knowing that, that our sins have been canceled? That that little child was born into this world to know compassion because that forgiveness is constant and continual. There's no greater comfort than that. And you don't have to wait for that in the future. That is yours right now because the Messiah already came the first time. And so we wait eagerly and patiently for him to return. And I want you to think on that for just a moment. If those are the gifts that that the Messiah, that Jesus brought with him the first time that he came into this world, compassion and mercy, Can you begin to imagine what he's going to bring with him when he returns a second time? Can you even fathom the rich treasures that Jesus will come when the Messiah returns on that last day? There is something that, too, is is worth waiting for. Dear friends, the Lord is near. He's almost here. And knowing that, being confident of that, we want to wait patiently for him, just as James encouraged us to. To wait patiently as we stand firmly on his promises, as we're done with grumbling, and as we persevere through adversity and trial. And we do all of this bolstered up and fueled by the compassion and the mercy of the Christ, the Messiah who already came to bring those gifts for you. Hold fast to those gifts while you wait patiently for him to come again. Amen.